It's only week two of the NFL season, but after dropping a 30-13 to decision of the Rams, a lot of Seahawks fans are already hitting the panic button. Should they be, or is it too early to be fretting? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing and debating as we bust out our first panic meter here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, the host of the Locked On Seahawks Podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined, as always, by my coast in crime. Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in West Virginia land at Morgantown, West Virginia, or overseas in Manchester, England. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're not quite ready to completely turn the page from Sunday's game, which many of you are hoping we will finally turn that page, but it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. We'll be dishing out some wisdom coming out of that game and heading into a challenging matchup against the Detroit Lions. And speaking of those Lions... We are going to be taking a first look at Dan Campbell's outstanding young team, some offensive and defensive tidbits, what's new as far as additions, draft picks, a really exciting draft class for them that I know Rob and I are going to be gushing about quite a bit. A lot of players we really liked in the pre-draft process. It's going to be a jam-packed Tuesday episode coming your way. From our friends over at Price Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports, go to prizepicks.com slash LockedInNFL and use the code all lowercase LockedInNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. We kind of have an unwritten rule here on Locked on Seahawks that you don't bring out the panic meter until at least week six, especially with the extra week added to the season. After one game, there's been plenty of teams that have made deep playoff runs that lost their season opener. There's really no reason to panic. And yet we made an exception because again, this is an unwritten rule and a lot of Seahawks fans are really fired up for bad reasons coming out of this game. They got a bad taste in their mouth with the way that the Rams beat down the Seahawks at home in the second half on Sunday. And I think that there were some things that were concerning potentially beyond just one game. And so that leads us to bring out the panic meter after just one game. I think this is the earliest easily that we've ever brought this out, but I think it's warranted when you consider some of the injuries and just some of the really unfortunate and disappointing things that happened in this season opener, Rob. So I'm going to dish the mic to you first. And just so our listeners can see the panic meter this year, we've made a few changes to our verbiage, but it's one to five, one being R-E-L-A-X. And best wishes to Aaron Rodgers in the recovery. That was absolutely brutal seeing that injury last night, four plays in, as excited as Jets fans were. Two, in Gino and Pete we trust. Three, using Pete Carroll verbiage the other day, a little concern. Four, mock draft fever, question mark. And five, Jody is moving the team. The house is on fire. So that is our panic meter that we will be using this year. And hopefully we won't have to bring it out very many times. But again, this is the earliest we've ever had to. So Rob, I dish it to you. Where is your panic meter at? I know it's only been one game and you said yesterday, hey, this happens. You lose games like this. But there were some things that weren't necessarily uh, positive developments that came out of this game either. 
Well, I think the, the very first thing I would say is I, I would have to probably just use the words that Pete Carroll said, uh, a little concerned, and that would technically put me at a three. However, I feel even more strongly in number two, in Pete and Gino we trust. I, I think that, you know, to me, it was kind of perfectly articulated by one of our, our Twitter followers. Um, and, and thank you, as Corbin, as you often say, thank you to all of our supporters, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be on Facebook, or whether it be on uh, YouTube. YouTube, whatever the case might be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But this particular gentleman, Anthony Green, who, who made a comment that uh, he's a lifelong Seahawks follower and he is a, a season ticket holder for 14 years. I presume that that means 14, the past 14 years. Well, then, sir, and all those other Seahawks fans out there who are concerned, the worst you've seen from this team is a 7-9 and nine record. This is not a bad football team. If you have any faith at all in what Pete Carroll has done when he has led you to the playoffs nine times over that time, then I think that you have to just kind of pause on this panic meter because, as you said, Corbin, there have been an awful lot of football teams that have stubbed their toe in week one and then gone on to have great success. I mentioned yesterday the Cincinnati Bengals and the San Francisco 49ers played in the AFC and NFC championship games, and they both lost their first game. As you reference Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets, how, how about the resiliency that the Jets showed after Aaron Rodgers went down with the with the horrific Achilles tear? I mean, to me, that's what the Seahawks have to sh have to demonstrate here. Now, am I concerned? Sure, because if you lose Charles Cross, you lose Abraham Lucas for any amount of time, that is going to be a very significant blow. Obviously, Tyler Lockett could be a very significant blow. If you change Nuosu's injury, winds up being more serious than initial fear, that could be a significant blow. But Again, in Pete Carroll and in my own eyes with Geno Smith, the accuracy that I saw in the training camp, I thought that he did a great job of, of showing how competitive he was and yet not losing his cool like a few other members of the Seahawks did yesterday or during in Sunday's game. So I was actually kind of encouraged by the leadership and just the, the competitiveness that I saw from Geno Smith. So if you had kind of just force me to pick one number because I don't want to do the decimal thing. I'm a, you know, not a math guy. I'm going to go with two because I do have a great deal that Pete Carroll is going to be able to kind of write the ship because that's what he's done his entire NFL or at least his entire career with the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. For me, this is a twofold thing because I think you have to look at the two sides of the football right now. I would be either going a one or a two on offense. I know they had 12 yards of total offense against the Rams in the second half the other day, but your tackles were out. You're hoping you're going to have at least one of those two players available against the Detroit Lions, if not both. You just signed Jason Peters, who could probably get ready to play within two days because the guy's been playing football since 1905. So it's not going to be difficult for him to go out and play at a high level. He's played a ton of NFL football. He knows what he's doing. He's seen every type of pass rusher. So I don't have concerns there. The talent is going to rise to the top. The cream is going to rise to the top for the Seahawks. And I feel strongly that offense, that might be the worst. They, hopefully it's the worst performance they have this entire season. They're able to get things rolling against Detroit, and they were able to do that last year at Ford Field. This is a better Lions team, but hopefully the offense finds some rhythm this week and they can build off that because this should be a top three, top five caliber offense. So I'm still confident there. Where I'm not necessarily feeling so good, I don't know that I'm in mock draft fever. If I had to go here, I'd say I'm more than a little concerned, but I'm not quite doing mock drafts yet when it comes to the defense. And the reason I say that is I still 
I have concerns with that interior defensive line. And we haven't seen the consistent production from the outside linebackers. And I just don't know how much we're going to get from that group. There's so much upside with that edge rushing group. And yet the production hasn't necessarily matched up to that. The run defense was better this past weekend, but the Rams, that's not really what they're built around running the football. There's going to be teams like San Francisco that are going to be much more formidable running the ball. They have better offensive lines. So I don't really know if I believe yet in that run defense and that interior D line. You didn't get anything from Draymond Jones. I don't expect that to last, but that is still a position group that I have concerns about. And you're probably going to be throwing Devin Witherspoon in without a preseason. I'm confident that he can go out and play at a high level because he's a fantastic football player. But still, that secondary did not look good the other day. And the mistakes they made are correctable. Missed tackles, you can correct those. A lot of assignment-related issues. Fix your communication, and then several of those plays probably don't happen or you have much better coverage on those plays. So from that perspective, there's some optimism for me. But yet at the same time, I just don't feel like it's as cut and dry that this defense – and. I, I'm worried a little bit about the coaching staff on that side. They haven't shown the ability to consistently adapt and adjust to what other teams are doing to them. This has been going on for five or six years where there's been little stretches where the defense has found its rhythm, but then they seem to resort back to really struggling against the pass or last year was against the run. So uh, to me, this is really a double-edged sword, so to speak. I think the offense, I would be really optimistic, maybe even a one here, relax, everything's going to be fine. Defense, I'm at least a little bit concerned, if not a lot concerned about that side of the ball, just with the defensive line, the pass rushers, and and maybe some question marks in secondary with some of the health issues they have. If you get Witherspoon and Adams back healthy, then I'm confident that group's going to figure things out with the talent they have. But there's enough questions there that I am a little bit concerned and there's a little bit of panic here. But again, it's week two. There's a lot of football season left. And hopefully, Rob, we won't have to bust this out anytime soon and the Seahawks will get rolling starting this week against the Lions. Coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, it's Tell the Truth Tuesday. Some words of wisdom from Rob and I as we take a final look at Sunday's game and look forward to this upcoming matchup against the Detroit Lions. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, which is brought your way by FanDuel. It's officially week two of the NFL season, and you can get incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Tomorrow, it's our second matchup Wednesday of the 2023 season. And man, this is a really fun young Lions team. The Seahawks have some injury question marks. So there's going to be some fascinating matchups we're going to be breaking down for this week two game happening at Ford Field. You won't want to miss it. Let's get to our first Tell the Truth Tuesday of the regular season. And unfortunately, Rob, there's going to be a lot of harsh truths coming out of this. But I know that you and I were talking before the show, and you really wanted to talk about one positive development to kickstart the festivities. Well, and just in yesterday's show, I think that there, I think if people are, are you know, just 
again, the chicken little kind of idea, the sky is falling. I mean, my goodness, again, this is the Seahawks team that marched down the field and had four scoring drives. At least it should have been a scoring drive. Jason Myers doesn't clank one off of a, off the uprights, but four scoring drives in four uh, offensive possessions in the first half in Sunday's game. Now, obviously everything fell apart, but still, I think that that is something that bears repeating over and over again to everybody else out there who just thinks that it was just 100% a disaster show um, in that loss. Now, one of the things that I think was an absolute huge bright spot, and I, I would I think there's a bunch of them you could mention. I think that the, the return of Jordan Brooks, I think that the, the accuracy again from Geno Smith are, are things that we've talked about already. But I want to talk about Ken Walker III. The Seattle only had three rushing first downs against the Rams. So obviously that's abysmal, but Ken Walker, the third still was absolutely dynamic against the Rams. He averaged 5.33 yards per carry. And that doesn't take much of a math mathematician to realize that if you just run the ball a little bit more often, then you're obviously going to be able to generate more first downs when you're averaging over five per carry. The last time that the Seahawks averaged five yards a carry against the Rams was five years ago. That was Rashad Penny and the Rams, by the way, had Todd Gurley at running back in that game. So they, we're going back five years doesn't sound like much, but we're actually going back a long ways in, in football time. So I think that that is something that is significant here. That again, Seattle just has to get back to what it does well, what they've always done well while Pete Carroll has been the head coach, run the damn ball first and then get cute with the passing game. That's a perfect segue into my first tell the truth wisdom here. And this is going to surprise some of our listeners because I will say this again. I think Charles Cross going out and as far as the rookies from Seattle's class last year, I think it is the toughest player to replace. And we got to see that last week. And yet I'm going to surprise some people with this statement and I'm going to stand by this. And I've got some different reasons for saying this, but I think losing Abraham Lucas, not Charles Cross, would hurt Seattle more in the short term. And let me explain why. The reason I said you had a great segue there, I think this Detroit Lions team that you are facing coming up here in Sunday's first road contest, you've got Aiden Hutchinson that you got to worry about. Charles Harris, they've got a number of really solid pass rushers. How do you slow those guys down? You run the damn football and you run it well. And I thought that the Seahawks in the first half, as you mentioned with Ken Walker the third, I thought they did a really good job running the football. Not enough carries, but when they did run the ball, they were effective, particularly off the edge. This feels like a game when you don't have to worry about Aaron Donald in the middle, that they should be able to have more success running inside. But I still think at that right tackle spot, Abe Lucas is such a proficient run blocker for a guy that came from a air raid offense. He's way further ahead there than I thought he was going to be at this stage. And he just plays with some nastiness. So I think in this game and even going into their week three matchup, uh, when they're going against the Carolina Panthers, Carolina is going to want to get physical. They're going to want to run the ball on offense. I think these are games where having Abe Lucas out there to really anchor that run game, and he is going to fare better against guys that are power rushers He's going to be facing some guys that are power rushers. There's some speed guys too, but I just feel like Abe Lucas, these next few games, if it's a longer period, Charles Cross certainly missing him would be a big deal. But I'm also banking on Stone Forsythe revisiting the film. I thought he played okay the other day. Can he do it for a whole game? We'll see. But you also just brought in Jason Peters. 
Jake Curhan is the guy at right tackle. I just have more concerns at this point with the backup situation, adding all those things together. That's why I think Abe Lucas being out would be a bigger deal, at least for the next few games for the Seahawks. I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, I, I again, I, I am a huge fan of, of both Charles Cross and Abe Lucas and what they were able to provide the Seahawks a year ago. I, I really like the signing of Jason Pearson because it gives the, the club an awful lot of flexibility because he has played played on both positions. Um, you know, I'm going to kind of switch over here for a moment because uh, I think that sometimes uh, people might think that, uh, you know, I'm always going to look at the positive with the Seahawks, and, and that's not going to be the case in this situation. In fact, I'm going to blast probably Seattle's most popular rookie here and that being jackson smith and jigman now i don't want to sound like I'm, I'm talking about both sides of my mouth because you could go back just a week or so ago when i was predicting that that jsn might be a leading candidate for offensive rookie of the year and i still believe that could be the case i do believe that he has the short the, the hands and the uh you know the, the route running acumen to be able to be a dynamic guy in the red zone get all kinds of touchdowns all kinds of big plays that seem to sway voters. However, I saw the same sluggishness uh, as a route runner that concerned me before about the Ohio State rookie. And he was number six on my list in terms of the rookie wide receivers this year. Six. I had Zay Flowers ahead of him. He was absolutely dynamic in week one. I had Jordan Addison ahead of him. He was also absolutely dynamic in week one. You could just see the juice that they offer. They can get open against their own damn shadow. And I just don't see that with JSN. And so there's a lot of people out there who love to tout the fact that JSN had a terrific three cone time, a terrific short shuttle time. He ran the 40 yard dash in 1.52 seconds, which, or excuse me, four, that would have been really fast, 4.52 seconds in that 40 yard dash. He also had a 1.65 yard, 10 yard split. That's the slowest of any wide receiver who was both invited to the combine and drafted at all. So again, this is a guy who does not start off quickly. He can accelerate, but I just don't see the ability to get open. He certainly was not getting open very often against the LA Rams. The, his most dynamic catch was on a drag route, which that's the whole thing is drag routes. Just about any slower receiver with any kind of shiftiness should be able to get open. The Seahawks need DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on the field to be able to kind of take some of the coverage away. That's where JSN can excel. If they aren't out there, then JSN has not yet demonstrated any type of ability to be able to get open against sticky coverage to be able to be the kind of dynamic playmaker that a lot of people, myself somewhat included, have uh, you know thought that he might be able to provide for the Seahawks. So he must play better if the Seahawks offense is going to you know warrant your talk before about it only being a one on the concern meter. To me, it's actually I'm more concerned about the offense than I am about the defense at this point. Interesting. Yeah, I think we have a little different viewpoints on that, but I would agree with you. I didn't think that Jack Smith and Jigbo looked explosive at all in this football game. And maybe some of it was the routes they were having him run. I didn't like the fact he was doing all these really short routes. I want to see the intermediate game in the middle of the field where he has excelled the most at, but we didn't see much of that in this football game. Now, I want to talk, we, we've looked at Noah Fant. We've talked about Colby Parkinson. I mean, I've talked about Colby P Parkinson ad nauseum over the last five or six months, but I want to talk about the player that just always seems to be Mr. Consistency in the passing game at tight end. And Will Disley, in my opinion, remains as he has been really since his injuries his first two years, an underutilized asset in this passing game. Rob, you look at the two catches that he had in the first half. 
both those catches really kick-started the drives. And then suddenly the Seahawks went down. They got 10 points out of those two drives. Their touchdown to DK Metcalf, another field goal. Both those drives early on, Gino was able to get in a rhythm by getting the ball, dumping it off to Will Disley, and he turned into a train with the football in his hands. He had 15 yards after the catch, and he broke four tackles on those two receptions. So I just feel like I don't care if he's not the fastest guy. He's a converted defensive lineman. He's not going to be breaking speed records, but since the day he stepped on the field for Seattle back in 2018, He's just always had that knack for getting open and being able to make something happen. I'd like to see, I'm not saying more red zone touches necessarily, but I would like to see more of an emphasis to get him and the tight ends involved. But he's the one we haven't talked about because his run blocking so good. 16 snaps in one game when he was healthy the entire game. I have a major issue with that. And the fact they didn't get him involved more in the passing game on Sunday. Yeah, I 100% agree with you in that regard. Uh, in fact, I, I, I'm curious to see what his 10-yard split might be. Um, but I, I'm going to switch over because, again, I, I don't want this to be a, the, the perception that I am, you know, always going to be wearing those, uh, you know, blue colored glasses so to speak and everything is wonderful with the seahawks i do have huge concerns about the inability of seattle's outside linebackers specifically to be able to get home now we saw some pretty splashy plays in the running game from uchenna nuosu and boye mafe specifically but in terms of pass rush win rate and i don't care what other analytic sites say uh, i'm looking for my own eyes and what i'm charting myself i saw a grand total of three wins from Chenna Nuoso, who was the best of Seattle's pass rushers, at least in my opinion. I saw two wins from Daryl Taylor. Now, they, Seattle ain't getting sacks, so we can't talk about sacks. We were just talking about, you know, can you get pressure? Can you get a quarterback hit? Can you make Matthew Stafford, who is not exactly fleet of foot, can you get him off of his spot? Again, three wins from Boye Mafe, two wins from Daryl Taylor, one, I'm, I'm sorry, three wins from Uchenna Nuosu. Two wins from Daryl Taylor, one win from Boye Mafe, and Derek Hall, 0.0. I mean, I feel like this is, you know, I'm watching Animal House with Dean Wormer, <laughs> you know. I mean, and I certainly am never going to call Derek Hall or any other Seahawk, you know, the, the, what he, Dean Wormer was trying to uh, to give that, that life lesson to uh to to flounder uh you know fat drunk and stupid is no way to go through life son i mean that's something i've always tried to you know live myself here but uh still <laughs> 0.0 is obviously concerning here and so I, I do think the seattle's pass rush is going to get a huge jolt when they get jamal adams back i do expect seattle to get a lot more creative i, I mentioned the boy a mafe pressure it came on a loop where he was initially in the outside and came up the middle i do expect that you're going to see Seattle do that a little bit more often. And I do think that when you get a, a fully healthy Daryl Taylor, you can see the juice. You can see the bend around the edge. Uchenna Nuosu and the way that he uses his hands, and he's got lateral agility. Boye Mafe is still a developing player, but he's arguably their best in terms of run defense. These are some good football players, but it's all about the pass rush in today's NFL core. But in the outside, linebackers just did not bring it against the Rams. And I have concerns that this might be a, a group that really is further uh ha has further to go um before they're really going to be the weapon that at least i thought they would be heading into this season yeah kobe bryant was their most prolific pass rusher on sunday he had two pressures on five blitzes 
take that for what it is worth. That's just the way that the game went for the Seahawks, particularly the inside guys. There was there was no pressure to speak of from their interior rushers, Draymond Jones and company. I'm going to cap off with a positive because I feel like my first two tell the truth tidbits here weren't necessarily on the optimistic side. But contrary to the narrative, I think the Seahawks are in great hands at linebacker. We have talked about how poor the secondary played, how poor the pass rush was the lack of pass rush in the interior. I know the run defense was solid up front, but there were so many things to nitpick about with that defense on Sunday. One thing that I can't nitpick about is the linebackers. And this is what I'm going to say. There's a lot of narratives out there that Bobby Wagner's hurting this defense with his inability to cover. Watch the film again. There were two or three times I thought Bobby Wagner was in really good position and Matthew Stafford just threw perfect passes. It happened multiple times in the game. On the first drive, Tyler Higby, who's one of the best receiving tight ends in the NFC, he's given the Seahawks fits. Jordan Brooks was all over him in his hip pocket on a pivot route, which is extremely difficult to cover. I posted this on my Twitter. If you want to go watch it, it is up there. It's one of the clips I posted this morning. Jordan Brooks had perfect positioning there, and Matthew Stafford side-armed it. And if he would have had that two centimeters further behind than what he did, Jordan Brooks gets a fingertip on it. It's broken up. That's how perfect the pass was. He threw it exactly where it had to be. So I thought that Matthew Stafford just tip your helmet to him. He was phenomenal on those intermediate passes. And I thought the Seahawks linebackers, Devin Bush had another play where it might've been less than a centimeter that he missed tipping the football ended up getting to Puganakua for another first down. And he was in good position and it just Matthew Stafford was just dropping dimes and then run defense. Bobby Wagner had nine tackles netting two or fewer yards. So those are impact plays. He had three tackles for loss or at the line of scrimmage in this game. Those are impact plays. Jordan Brooks had a couple of them himself. I thought Devin Bush played the run. Well, the few snaps that he was in. So I was really excited by what I saw from this position group. It's the one positive that really jumped out to me on defense all the way around for the Seahawks coming out of this game. And those are three veterans that are all around right now. Jordan Brooks doesn't look like there's any signs of that injury. So I think that it's exciting what we saw from the group of linebackers. Coming up next, it's time for our first look at the Detroit Lions. What's new? Additions, departures, and of course, we'll be looking at some schematic stuff, personnel, I get really excited when we start to pull back the curtains behind enemy lines. And this is a really fun, talented Detroit Lions team the Seahawks will be battling in week two. We'll get to that first look scouting report coming up next year on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks, which is brought your way by our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Prize picks is really simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. This week's on prize picks. I'm selecting DK Metcalf for more than 70 yards. He better not get any penalties, though. And Derrick Henry for 80 yards for the Tennessee Titans. Prize Picks is an absolute blast each week, and it's an easy way to enjoy daily fantasy without any hassle and land quick winnings. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedInNFL and use the code LockedInNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash LockedInNFL and use the code Locked in NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Price picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. 
And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure to listen in tomorrow. It's our weekly matchup Wednesday segment. We'll be diving into a lot of fun and potentially dangerous matchups going into this game, depending on the health status for the Seahawks and the Lions, who have some offensive line issues they're dealing with injury-wise of their own. You won't want to miss the hard-hitting analysis coming up on our Wednesday show. Let's get to these Detroit Lions, shall we? I mean, everybody in Seattle loved them back in January when they beat the Green Bay Packers and sent the Seahawks to the playoffs. But uh, I don't think that that love is going to be present this weekend when Seattle travels to Detroit looking for its first win. And uh, this is a team that just beat the defending champions on their home turf. I know they didn't have Kelsey, but still, uh, that's an impressive win in a difficult place to play. And there's so much young talent on this team, Rob, this draft class they had. You and I both loved it. And those rookies went in and did a really nice job in that victory over the Chiefs. No, they had a huge impact. They were basically the exact opposite of, of what Seattle saw from their much more celebrated uh, draft class. And again, I I will absolutely call myself out because I am among those who has championed um, Seattle's draft class. And I still have a great deal of faith that they're going to prove uh, to be very, very good. However, the Detroit Lions, on the other hand, took a bunch of players that you and I were very high on. They just took a bunch of those players much earlier than I thought that they should have. But give the Lions a great deal of credit. They identified the players that they wanted. They were bold in taking them, and they were successful, at least in week one, with how well they played. I think the running back, Jameer Gibbs, I mean, every single time he touched the ball, it just felt like the tape was on fast forward. I mean, his acceleration was really, really exciting. It's very similar to what I saw a year ago with Ken Walker and, you know, frankly, what I saw, at least in limited snaps against the the Rams this past weekend. Uh, I think that Sam Laporta, the tight end, you, you talked, and I think that you were very uh, in, intelligent wise in, in doing so in, in pointing out how critical that Will Disley's role can be for the Seahawks. The Rams threw the ball five times to the rookie tight end, Sam Laporta. He caught five passes for him. He had three first downs, and he was very, very effective for them. So the rookie, Brian Branch, wound up having one of the, the, the interception or, uh, for, you know, during the game that, that was huge in the outcome uh, of that game uh, you know, for the Lions to beat the Chiefs. So to me, there's a whole bunch of rookies out there that were, sick, that were spectacular. I love some of the free agent signings that this club had. Uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson the safety and nickel corner. I mean, his physicality, his competitiveness, that was on display against Kansas City as well. The, the running back, David Montgomery, I mentioned Jameer Gibbs before, David Montgomery as well. I Detroit had a pretty solid one-two punch at running back a year ago. And I think that they've significantly upgraded with these two. I think that they are faster. I think that they are more physical. And so, again, I, I just really like the way that Dan Campbell, uh, how this team has taken their head coach, Dan Campbell's kind of mentality. Remember, he was the head coach that kind of famously said that they're going to you know, chew off or, or gnaw on people's knee bones and all that kind of stuff. They play with that type of aggression. And, I haven't even mentioned my absolute favorite player on the entire team for the Lions to watch. And that, of course, is Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, he is the epitome of that type of physicality and nastiness. And so to me, they're an easy team to root for because of just how hard they play the game. And again, that's kind of the, the exact opposite of what we saw from Seattle, who is about as flat as you can get, uh, at least in the second half of that disappointing loss to the Rams last week. 
I was saying this a few months ago here on the podcast that I thought Detroit was the real dark horse to make the Super Bowl in the NFC. And I think a lot of people were laughing when I said that because they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they went nine and eight. As you said, this team, I don't know that there is a team in the entire NFL right now that embodies their coach more than this Lions team does with Dan Campbell and just the aggressiveness. You know what? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to, I'm going to run a fake punt here in my own territory early in the season opener and I'm going to get it. I'm going to go for it on fourth down regularly. That's just the way that he does things, and his team feeds off that. This is probably one of my two or three favorite teams to watch in the NFL right now. And some of it is their style, too. When you look at the offense that they run, you got to be ready for a heavy dose of play action. They were in the top five last year in play, play action attempts. Jared Goff will murder you in play action. 16 touchdowns last year led the NFL among all quarterbacks. He was fourth in yards third in yards per attempt. And now they've got that running game to feed off it. And they're kind of an old school running game. They were fifth in the NFL last year running power by favorite run scheme. And they've got Jameer Gibbs. Now they've got David Montgomery, who's a good between the tackles runner. And really Gibbs is too. Gibbs averaged over four yards per carry after contact last week with his opportunities. Both those guys can catch the football. They love to throw to their running backs. But that running game being where it's at right now behind that stout offensive line and Jared Goff's proficiency in the play action game, picking up those chunk plays and taking those shots. uh, This is a really dangerous offense that, by the way, I think has the number one head coaching candidate in waiting right now in Johnson calling the plays. He is fantastic. And I'm shocked he wasn't hired this offseason, to be honest with you. No, I, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of reasons to be excited about what the Lions are doing. Um, at the same time, uh, as you mentioned, the, the Chiefs, of course, who they beat, uh, you know, were without Travis Kelsey. They were without Chris Jones as well. And those, are, with the exception, of course, of Patrick Mahomes, those are, in my opinion, the two best other other players on the Kansas City Chiefs roster. And so you take away two of the be- any team's best players. And again, as we talked about in yesterday's show, Corbo, where it's all about expectations. Everybody expects the, the Super Bowl champions. I mean, the Detroit Lions had came in with plenty of hype, plenty of buzz, but nothing like the Super Bowl champions. So I, I wasn't surprised when Detroit won. I wasn't surprised with some of the other upsets in, in week one. Now, everybody is so down on the Seahawks, and the Pete Carroll is the master motivator that he is. Now, again, I still have huge concerns about Seattle and their offensive line. I, I'm not sure that Geno Smith's going to be able to get, get out of this game unscathed, but at the same time, I do feel like now they're the underdog. This is a Seahawks team that, remember, it wasn't just complete luck that they snuck into the playoffs because the, the, the Lions beat the Packers in Week 17. It's because the Seahawks had beat the Lions previously in the year, and that's what set up the, the tiebreakers. So, you know, they, they are, I think, a, a team that matches up pretty well with the Detroit Lions. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition and they, and they play with the tech that, that they can match it that, that's what i want to make sure i say here is if seattle can match detroit's intensity i think this is a pretty interesting football game certainly a lot closer than it was against the la rams team and then finally one last thing as you mentioned a couple of times matthew stafford you're right sir stafford was absolutely on point he looked like an mvp candidate in that game now will he be able to hold that up all year long who knows but he 
was spectacular. So as you said, tip a helmet to him because he was very he was very good. It will be on the on the Seahawks to be able to get more pressure on Jared Goff. Otherwise, he can look like an MVP himself because he certainly looked great against the Chiefs. He made better, more confident throws against the Chiefs in Week One this past week than I saw him make all last year and most of his time with the LA Rams as well. Yeah, he really has blossomed in this offense after the Rams just discarded him in favor of Matthew Stafford. They really have done what works best with him coming from his Rams days. They play a lot of their snaps under center. They run a lot of two-back. I told you there's reasons I love this football team. I mean, they're old school. They run a lot of two-back. They run a lot of gap, downhill, power run. They want to punch you in the mouth. And I see that same mentality on defense, Rob. This is a team that last year ranked seventh in the NFL in blitz percentage, but against the great Patrick Mahomes, they only blitzed 11.1%. I think that that is an asterisk. I do not think that that is, oh, we're suddenly not going to be aggressive blitzing. Now, maybe they don't do it as much as they did last year, but you've still got Aaron Glenn as the coordinator. He is an aggressive guy, just like Dan Campbell. I expect that we are going to see plenty of pressure, especially if the Seahawks are playing one or two reserve tackles. You can't tell me Aaron Glenn is not going to be trying to dial up some extra pressure to really take advantage of that and get after Geno Smith, blow up the run game for the Seahawks. And if there's a guy on this team that embodies the head coach, like I said, this whole team does, but uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, like that is, in terms of bottling up Dan Campbell, what he looks for in a player, that is the guy with the intensity, the tenacity, the physicality, uh, the arrogance at times that he plays with out there. The rest of this defense is feeding off of him, and that addition with Brian Branch as well, that makes this Lions defense that much better. And, oh, by the way, Joseph, their other safety who played with Devin Witherspoon at Illinois, he's a pretty damn good player too. So this Detroit defense, don't think you're going to go in and put up 40-plus on them again like you did last year. They've got a ton of pass rushers. Aiden Hutchinson is the headliner. They've got Jack Campbell now in the middle, a much better linebacking crew, and their secondary is much improved. So – You take all the scheme stuff out. This is just a better team personnel-wise, and it is going to be a challenge for the Seattle Seahawks, as we'll be talking about on those matchups when we get to them tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. It should be a game that uh, I think that all Seahawks fans are eager to watch just because you want to wash that bad taste out of your mouth and imagine how much better you might feel if on next Monday the Seahawks are one and one. It, it seems like nothing. Uh, you know, it's just two games in. But uh, the difference between one and one and zero oh and two is as big as it possibly could be can get. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. As we just said, it's Matchup Wednesday coming up tomorrow, and there's some really appetizing matchups on both sides of the ball going to this game. And maybe a few that aren't so much that you want to stay away. Not the fine cuisine that you're looking for, and you could say that for both teams. It's going to be an exciting episode. Make sure you're listening in and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks!